This time on the Cameron Journal Podcast, we're talking with Trey Stone. He's a Norwegian author that writes very fascinating thrillers, but that are set in the United States. I stayed up extra late to talk to him across many time zone changes, and we just had an interesting conversation about writing, his process, how he works, and what inspires him to create these unique thrillers set in the USA. So... If you follow him on Twitter, you know he's very funny, and in this interview, he's just as funny, but in that sedate, kind, Norwegian kind of way. So, let's drop in. It's the Cameron Journal Podcast. Let's go. This is the Cameron Journal Podcast. It's a place where we talk about important things. It's a place where we bring a little slice of the news to you. It's a place where we do important things, have important conversations. It's also things that I like to talk about. My name is Cameron Cowan, and this is the Cameron Journal Podcast. Today on the Cameron Journal Podcast, we are speaking with Trey Stone all the way from Norway. Um, I had to interview him in the middle of the night because of the time change. I'm on the almost opposite side of the planet from here from where he is, and we're going to talk about his books and geek out on writing and all that sort of thing. So welcome, Trey Stone, to the Cameron Journal podcast. Thanks, Cameron. Thank you so much for having me, and I'm sorry about the, about the time zones. <laughs> well, that's what, happens when, what, that's what happens when you live on a planet that's also a sphere. It's a big problem. Yeah. So <laughs> I, um, I want to dive right in to your books because i'm not quite sure how to describe what it is that you write so why don't you tell us about your books and give us some basic plot points and what it is and why we should all go buy 10 copies and give to friends yeah all right uh so i write uh dark psychological thrillers i have two books out now the consequence of loyalty which is the first and then a state of despair which came uh, last december uh, they both follow a group of FBI agents who get uh, caught up in a lot of trouble. My main character is Jordan Greer, who's a uh, brilliant but arrogant prick, more often than not. And he, uh, he likes to bend the rules and he likes to get his work done the way he, he wants to solve crimes. And, uh, and yeah, they're described as fast-paced, gritty, uh, yeah, dark psychological thrillers. No, that's, um, that's yeah. no, that's 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 excellent. I was I, I was trying to pin down what exactly they were. Now you said the FBI. Are these books set in America? Yes, they are. Oh, I'm surprised. I would think you would set them there, but that's fair enough. So. Yeah, you would think so, but uh, that's not the way I've I've gone with things with these books, at least. Yeah. Um. I, I, any plans to do something Norway themed in the near future? Uh, possibly. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll follow on Twitter for that. Um, <laughs> we'll do plugs at, we'll do plugs at the end. We'll do plugs at the end. Um, so I, one of the things I always like to ask writers when we have them on is to find out what's your creative process and how does a book come together for you? So tell us a bit about that. How, what, what gets you creative? How do you make it, make the magic happen? Well, I kind of, I work best under pressure so I tend to force myself to kind of sit down and write and to do the work uh, I used to kind of let let the inspiration come to me but that 
I realized you can't count on that always happening. So it's easier to, if you just, for me at least, if I just sit down, tell myself I'm going to write now, and then we'll see what happens. And the way I come up with stuff, because because I'm technically, I won't want to describe myself as a pantser, that I just sit down and write stuff. But I have so many ideas that I take notes for all the time, like future books and future ideas that I kind of, over time, establish this huge these huge folders of notes and ideas for new stories all the time. So whenever I get around to starting a new project, I usually have quite a hefty document of ideas and stuff that I, I'll read through and just take it from there. Yeah, so, <clears throat> similarly, I have... Um, in my Evernote, I have a, a notebook called the Icebox, which are various and sundry really great ideas that I know I'm not going to work on for a while. And so, I, and then that way, if I need an idea or a short story or something like that, I can just, you know, go to the Icebox or <laughs> whatever have you. And okay, I see what I was thinking here, and then kind of pick it up from there. So. That. Yeah, I do something similar because I have I have one massive like one document that's just ideas for anything that I haven't kind of assigned to a project yet. So if I ever need to like flesh out a project or I need to write something specific, I'll go to that document and and have a look, see if there's anything I can combine or or change and make something out of. Yeah, absolutely. Now here's kind of a silly question, but I'm I'm interested in it anyway. Um, <clears throat> What is it like to write creatively in the language that's not your native language? Uh, for me, it's very natural for some reason. I'm not quite sure. I studied in England when I, I did my degrees in archaeology uh, half a decade ago. Mm. Or, no, actually a decade ago now. <laughs> Time moves so quickly. But yes, yeah, so to me, when I started writing fiction, it, it was very natural to, to, uh, to write in English. Uh, and I, I have plans of maybe writing stuff in Norwegian, but that, that seems alien to me for some reason. I've never written fiction in Norwegian, uh, but I might. But yeah, it comes like all, so much of the media I consume is in English. It's from, you know, Hollywood, Netflix, HBO, all of that stuff. Uh, so it comes very natural to me to write in English. No, no, that, make, that makes sense. <clears throat> and a follow-on question. I'm sorry I'm coughing. You're my fourth podcast today. Um... Uh, what um, what is it like to spend all that time researching how we do things government-wise here in America? Give us an outsider's perspective of our insane governmental system. <laughs> well, how much time do you have? <laughs> uh, no, like most of the stuff is... I would have to research the stuff I write about anyway because it's not stuff I would know anything about in Norway either just because I'm Norwegian in a sense. Like right, yeah. the way the police works or like the FBI or equivalent. So in one sense, and I'm sure th there's probably been done more research on on the American side of things for writers. Like I remember coming across a very good site for like how to write uh, law enforcement in like American law enforcement and had various, like the FBI, the CIA, it had various things to remember and kind of, uh, yeah to think yeah. about. So that was a great resource. And I'm, I'm not sure I could find a similar re uh, resource in Norwegian. Uh, but I did, like, there are a couple of things I get wrong. Um, but luckily I have beta readers and, and early reviewers who will catch stuff like that. 
and correct me. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, is, is there any any kind of weird, fascinating quirks that you've come across in your research that are just like, like totally maybe normal to us that you're kind of like, this is a bit odd? Well, I wouldn't say odd because I'm so used to like, like I said, through all the media, all the shows I watch, and like it's yeah. it's kind of it's what I've expected. But one thing about one good thing about like writing about the FBI and like American law enforcement and stuff in Norwegian is that Norwegian police officer wouldn't carry guns, for example, which someone pointed out, I can't remember what setting, but they don't carry weapons unless it's like for a very specific reason. So it would be a very boring book if you had a police officer just, or like law enforcement people going around solving crimes and there was no action because they're not allowed to carry weapons. So in one sense, it's more exciting to write about the Americans and, and the FBI in that sense, because you can, you can do more stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, we let them be armed to the teeth here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, it, lots, of, lots of that. Now, in terms of, like, writing tools, um, are there any specific programs or software that you use, or do you just go for Microsoft Word and call it a day? You know, I'm very basic. I just need a word processor. Uh, so you, I either use Word, or I've been using LibreOffice, LibreOffice. Oh, okay. Which is like yeah. a free open source thing that I, because I had some problems with Microsoft Office last year. The only thing I use often for my for my short stories is Grammarly to just run through stuff that I, if I want to submit something, like I'll have a fast turnaround and I don't have time to to send it off to my editor or to someone that I can't expect them to turn it over really quickly. I'll use Grammarly for like proofreading yeah. and stuff. Uh, Grammarly. I have a browser plugin that helps me with blog posts and things like that. Grammarly has made me a better writer because it's made me get more definite with my words. Um, yeah. And it's and it's also really good at getting rid of problematic adverbs, too many uses of the same word, or the word just, all, the, all those yeah. kind of little things that are great in speech, not good in writing. It's very good at cleaning all that out. And so... The, the product is way better afterwards. Yeah, I just finished going through one of uh, a novella that I'm working on, uh, and I ran it through Grammarly at the end of like a, a full workaround, and I realized there were a couple of words I kept repeating constantly, and none of my readers had ever picked it up. I hadn't picked it up, but I kept writing like every chapter. There were tons of those words constantly. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's great for doing that stuff. Yeah. What drew you to the psychological thriller as opposed to historical fiction? Well, I actually, I just finished listening to Good Omens on audiobook, and I was about to write a review on that book. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman book. I, I am. Uh, I have, I've, I'm in a book group, and we just started reading a Terry Pratchett, so I've had to kind of get back up to speed with my Terry Pratchett. So, yeah. You know. And it kind of struck me that, because that is very much a comedy, obviously, and it kind of struck, struck me because I was kind of trying to figure out what the plot of that book was. Mm. After I, because I kind of felt like there wasn't a plot, because obviously there's the, the end of days is coming. But the reason you love the book is because of all of these characters doing funny things and being strange. And it's, it's a very fun book. And I realized I had like this expectation almost that all books are supposed to be mysteries 
And then I realized not all books are mysteries, but I kind of, I kind of expect there to always be like, we have to figure something out. Uh, and that just dawned on me like a few days ago. That's probably why I'm so drawn to writing like thrillers and, and these kind of dark psychological riddles almost where you have to figure something out. Because that's, that's very much what I expect a book to be. Uh, but of course, books are allowed to not be that. I just, it struck me that that's what, that's what I assume a book to be often, some kind of mystery in one way or other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, yeah, there's, you know, there's quite a lot of stuff that's just, you know, people's experiences or you're just telling a story about a, a period in someone's life, which can be as short as a few hours or like my work always takes place over many years. I love to do things, you know, give me a decade and I'll tell you a story sort of, yeah. you know, sort of thing. Um, so yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, in terms of reading, what are your favorite authors? Uh, well, I kind of weirdly, when it comes to many things, I tend to not have definite favorites because I, I, I find it too hard to choose. Uh, but one author I really love is Justin Cronin, who wrote the Passage series, or the, it might be called the Amy series, actually. The first book is called The Passage. Then there was a show made of it recently. It's a trilogy, and that was just, it's kind of this uh, apocalypse zombie kind of book, which is usually never my kind of thing. But the, those books were just absolutely excellent. And they, they happen over several decades. And, and they're really, really great. And I used to read a lot of Dan Brown, which I get a lot. I realized now in, in more recent years that a lot of people don't like him. He was he was amazing when I was younger. I thought those books were like like I was saying. I like mysteries and those kind of yeah, those kind of mysteries are awesome. Uh, yeah, I thought I I would, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. I was going to go off on Dan Brown. You go ahead with your next author. Yeah. Well, I kind of, because I, I like fantasy, and I thought I, I read, it's been a few years now, but I read Lord of the Rings for the first time, maybe five years ago or something, and I thought I would love them, because I love the movies, and I, kind of, I love the whole universe, like games and comic books and everything. Yeah. But I, I didn't, I really didn't like the books <laughs> that much. <laughs> uh, but fantasy is usually a winner with me, and there's loads of, sure, there's loads of fantasy authors that I can't remember right now. But... Yeah. No, I was I I understand your liking of Dan Brown because I also like Dan Brown. I I read Angels and Demons before I read The Da Vinci Code because that's the order he wrote them in. Yeah, I think I did too. Yeah, and it was actually interesting because Angels and Demons was a a publisher project that they wanted written. And originally when he turned in the manuscript the publisher did not like it. And the Da Vinci Code was actually a bunch of stuff from the original Angels and Demon manuscript that they cobbled together as a sort of, well, here's an acceptable vehicle we could produce, sort of, you know, oh. sort of thing. Um, and so, but I, I, think, I think the way those books are structured and the reason why the film was so was successful before the book was, <laughs> sort of thing, the, the film did great things with the book sales. Um, yeah. was because I feel like that type of story is better on film. The way yeah. it's structured and all that sort of thing, it's better on film than it is in literature. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I get that. Yeah, because it's just, it's hard. I think it's hard for people to visualize you know, like the bowels of the Vatican. It's like, what does that? You know, no, very few people have been down there, um, and probably not the person who's buying the book, sort of thing. And yeah. I, I feel like a, a visual medium for those things is just ideal, you know. And it doesn't help to have Tom Hanks in your in your movie. That's you know, it's, Tom Hanks brings in the dollars at the box office, so that. Yeah never never hurts so that's that's very kind of very very interesting the other thing i kind of wanted to find out about you that i thought was uh was was very interesting was (laughs) your um twitter feed if people are not following you it's at straystone author is absolutely hilarious and it's so incredibly random and has all sorts of interesting things and, and I feel like my Twitter feed is so boring in comparison. Where, where do you come up with this stuff? Like, <laughs> like, oh. like your Twitter is just entertaining to read. Like, what is this man up to today? Because it's going to be entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. That, that. Yeah, that helps. But yeah, I kind of just lowered my, my expectations of what I was allowed to tweet about. So I just tweet the stuff I say or think or the stuff my wife and I talk about and apparently it's just, yeah, people find it entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. yeah. How, how is Norway handling COVID-19? Do you guys have any lockdowns or quarantine going or are you unlike the rest of us free to move about the country? Yeah, no, we have a, we have a lockdown in place at the moment following the holidays and stuff. Uh, so we're expecting some updates <clears throat> this week, this coming week on the 18th. Uh, well, yeah, we're doing, I think we're doing well. We don't have, we don't have that many people, obviously, but we don't have that many deaths or cases. Like compared to, to Sweden, for example, next to us, they have a lot more cases because they've been handling things differently. But yeah, no, we're not, we still have a lockdown. We still have measures in place, home office, masks, social distancing. So. Yeah, Sweden kind of tried the whole pandemic, who cares approach, and then fell on their faces over their Ikea furniture. <laughs> yeah, yes. I wouldn't yeah. disagree with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so now when it comes to, you know, the pandemic and everything, the pandemic has done nothing for my creativity. I have found it incredibly difficult to be creative while the world is burning. Has this been a good creative time for you, or have you struggled along? Well, I've been... I've been... I've been doing okay during the pandemic because I'm quite happy to be on my own and sit at home, basically. And I feel like it's given me more time to kind of to spend doing the creative stuff. Obviously, you, I, I understand the kind of feeling like the world is burning. What's the point of all of this? But yeah, I still feel like I've had more time to to get my work done and home office is amazing. I, I, I was, uh, my colleagues hate it. I absolutely love it. I just wake up, I go for a run, come back home. I sit on my work computer for a while and then I just move to the, to the personal computer, right? And it's, it's been lovely. So yeah, yeah I, I, I feel don't... like I haven't been able to do as much as I probably could if I had like a regular life going on because you get kind of tired of it occasionally but it hasn't been as bad as it could have been at least yeah i i don't mind the alone part i've been i've spent most of my life working for myself and therefore working from home 
So for me, the work from home thing, there was no transition. It was just, you know, oh, I guess I won't be popping down to the bar for a drink this evening Um, or seeing anyone or going anywhere for the holidays was kind of like my big impact. Um, And so I, I don't necessarily mind the isolation aspect of things, but it's just like, you know, with so many things going on, you open Twitter and it's like huge new thing is happening big new news story, big new update, and it just is, like, a mind suck. So go you for, like, resisting all of that and still getting things done. Yeah, yeah. weirdly, I think I've actually, even though I spend more time at home, I think I've spent less time on social media because I realized sometimes you just, you can't keep doom scrolling and just read all the terrible things that are happening to the world. You just have to log off and, and do something else, read a book or write a book. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I should have written two books in 2020. I did not. <laughs> Definitely did not did not happen with that. And so it's yeah, it's and it's just in the last couple weeks I've seen so many people talking about how you know because I mean obviously I'm sure you've heard we're having some technical difficulties with our government here in America just now. I I have noticed. <laughs> <laughs> just a few here and there and just so many people have been like I'm so tired and so exhausted and I can't get anything done and my motivation is gone and it's just like well yeah our government was almost overthrown 10 days ago and the pandemic is still going on and you know it isn't a wonder that you know you, you just, your mind gets so cluttered and I've, I've kind of been asking people like what are you doing to stay productive what are you doing to stay productive almost as a way to kind of find out like is there anything I can use? Like, is, is, yeah. Are you doing something I should try? Like, What's the secret? Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like, it's a good podcast question, but also like low key, like, are you doing something that I can use? Because I may adopt that practice for myself. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, ask for a friend, that friend is me. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I recommend to people is to, at least if you're that kind of person to just um, be strict and like find a time where you sit down and tell yourself to be creative. And then whether or not you're able to, at least you've sat down, you've put the time in, and then whatever comes out of it comes out of it. Yeah, there is a certain amount of butt in seat. Yeah. That is very essential. Very, very essential. Now, I I, I did not do my homework on this, so I'm just going to ask you now. Are you self-published or traditionally published? I am currently self-published. How was that journey for you? That's what I thought, but I wanted to double check. How how was that journey? How did you feel putting, you know, going through that long process to get your work out there? Well, I kind of probably did what everyone else, uh, or at least a lot of people, starts out doing. That I tried to query my first book and never went anywhere. Got a lot of rejections, and then decided I'll just self-publish it. And then there was a steep learning curve to figure out all the things I'd done wrong. And then uh, now that I've self-published my second book, I'm much more happy with going down that route. I have, I had more of a kind of book launch process in place, had a better cover, had more beta readers, advanced review readers. And I feel like when you get, when you do the process properly, being self-published can be, can be very rewarding because you can do you can do everything at your own pace and you can do it your own way you don't have to you can choose your own titles and book covers and 
And at the end of the day, you're the person who's done everything. So that's a, that's an accomplishment in and of itself. So I'm very happy being self-published. And I, though I might want to try an alternative, I don't necessarily want to not be self-published. No, that, that, that makes sense. What is, what, what makes a good book cover to you? Well, that entirely depends on the uh, genre you're writing in. But, but I mean, for your like, books, you know, when you're getting ready to develop a cover, you know, do you hire it out? Do you do it yourself? What's kind of, give us a little behind the scenes into creating a book cover for one of your books. Well, with the, cause the books I have out now are in a series. I, I try to focus on having a similar color scheme with both like the general art on the cover and the, and the lettering and the title. Yeah. Uh, since mine are dark psychological thrillers, they are actually literally dark, the covers, and kind of, I want them to be mysterious, but striking, but, you know, gripping, but not too much. It's, yeah, it's the difficult, I have a lot of back and forth with my, I found my artist on Fiverr. Uh, she's brilliant, and but I felt like I was nagging her a lot, because I kept sending comments, like, no, actually, can you move this? over here can you do can you change this no actually i want it back to the way it was so i feel like i can be picky but obviously you should be about your book cover i think yeah i i always <clears throat> when i i kind of am a bit odd in that when i am working on a book towards the end of the process i get a very clear vision in my head of what i think the cover for it should be and it's kind of indicative of kind of what's on the inside sort of thing. And so I've done graphic, two of mine were graphic covers. One of them was a photo cover and a lot of people, photo covers are dangerous because things can go wrong. Um, and sometimes I hold up my first novel as photo covers can work if you put in the work, you know, to kind of make them work. So I, there's always a lot of debate on, you know, how to do it, what's good, what's bad, all this sort of thing. And uh, and so it's always good to ask. For those that self-publish and have to make these decisions themselves, it's always good to kind of get a peek into what goes into making a book cover work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So now with when it comes to kind of plotting, you said you were kind of a pantser and you have all these ideas. Do you really outline and try to get everything set up, or do you let it be more freeform? Well, that's where I'm where I'm pastor because I don't outline it necessarily. It's yeah. much more freeform. But I have a I have an idea in my head, and because I have so many ideas, like in on a backlog now that I'm going to write at some point, maybe eventually. That means that as as I come up with ideas for that future project, it kind of becomes outlined in and of itself, because I, I don't have time to sit down and write that thing now, but I keep having ideas for it that I write down on my phone or in an notepad, and then I transfer those to the, like, master document, and then uh, by the time I get around to writing the project, I might have kind of a outline, I suppose. But I never sit down to kind of decide what goes where and what I'll do when I start the project eventually is I'll read through the notes, remind myself of what I thought, and then I'll just start writing it. 
That is magic. I cannot do that. That is absolutely magical. I am as solid hardcore outliner. And if I don't have an outline, I don't know where I'm going. I can't foreshadow the whole thing comes crashing down. Like, I have to figure it all out in advance. Kind of. Pretty much. I have to have a basic roadmap of where I'm going and what I'm doing. So for me, that process is veritably witchcraft. <laughs> well, to me, your your process is, is insane. I don't understand how... Because to me, it feels like you know what to write before you've written the book, and I don't understand how that works. Like, I have to... I don't... I wouldn't know what to outline before I'd written the book. Because then you'd have to decide what to write. And if you if you know how to decide what to write, why just not write it? No, I mean, and, and this is the center of, of the great debate. <laughs> of like, oh, between the, the pantsers and the plotters. Because I, could, I would respond and say, well, I have a lot of ideas and I want to structure them so that, you know, this happens and then this happens and then this happens and it can be just a line character does X in this place sort of thing. You know, these settings, this time of year, all the sort of thing, or this character has to do this now because in two chapters, it's going to become important sort of thing. Um, I just can't hold all that in my head. Like I have to like have it down on a structure. So I, because otherwise things will get lost plot lines will get dropped characters will ha do things and then never be mentioned ever again you know so yeah. it, it, it kind of has to be a you know a certain sort of sort of thing for me to kind of keep track of it all yeah but that's kind of what i do with that master document though if i have any ideas that i know like I'll go through that at the end and, and find ideas that I haven't developed or things that I wanted to happen. And then obviously there is a lot of revision to make like all the foreshadowing work. Because that's the thing with with, with passing. You can you can always go back and, and make stuff happen. Because when you've written the first draft you see you see what's going on and then you can can kind of push things in the right direction. Yeah, no, that that's in that's kind of interesting with the whole so it's almost like it's important for you to just kind of get all the ideas all the content out and then go back and sort of fix things up and re-edit yeah. things and all that sort of thing so it kind of all gets kind of offloaded to the revision process yeah kind of well that obviously depends on what the, the first draft looks like by the end of it sometimes it comes out better than others but it's kind of if you have like a, a jigsaw puzzle and you just pour all the pieces on the floor and then you start figuring it out once you have all the pieces on the floor. Instead of kind of picking one and one from the box and putting them down in order. That makes any sense? Yeah, I know it, it definitely it definitely does. That is it like but like I said, it's it's to me what's magical is that you're able to kind of have all those notes, hold all that narrative in your head. And then move forward with it, like because sometimes I also use my outline to remind myself where I've been. Like, okay, this is you know we're at this part of the story or this part of the narrative, and you know, and especially sometimes it can be a while before I get back to a project, and my brain just doesn't hang on to stuff. <laughs> like, it's things come and go. Um, <clears throat> so that's I think that's really really interesting that you're you're just able to hold all that in your head that's yeah. why i think it's magic 
<laughs> yeah, but then I, but again, I want to, I want to emphasize the importance of having this master document with all my notes because I, I need to read that through a couple of times to just like remind myself. But obviously, if you have an idea for a book that you kind of mull over for two years and then you eventually find time to write it, then, uh, then yeah, you've been thinking about it for a while, I suppose. So, yeah, but, no, that that makes sense. Now, how about how often can you get books out? How long does it take to make one of your books happen? Well, I was my second book that, that came out first of December last year, and my plan was to have it out like last spring, uh, and then have another one out last like maybe October or something. Uh, so I've been a bit delayed because of I blame the pandemic and stuff, but. I'm not sure yeah. I can entirely blame the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, because after my first book, I kind of felt like I wanted to give myself a bit more time to just make sure I did everything correctly because I, I kind of published my first book a bit hastily. Uh, but I also feel like at some point you just have to you have to let the book out there. You can't cling on to it for, for too long. So I'm hoping I can kind of that I can publish a bit faster now that I'm I've gotten into a new kind of habit compared to how long it took between my first and second book, which was well, my first book was published in 2017, so that's three three years. So hopefully I won't have to yeah. wait three years for the next one. But yeah, still it's important to take your time with it, but not cling on for too long, I suppose. Yeah, I I I found that especially on the technical side of layout and all that type of things. I do all that myself. I don't necessarily have the money to pay someone to do it. Um, once I had one and I knew what the process was, the two that I did following almost back to back, it was way easier. Yeah. It was just way faster, way, way faster. Um, and, and I, I was kind of able to kind of get the, get the job done. Um, in an expedient fashion sort of thing. Um, so do, do you find that writing book two was easier than book one? Uh, both yes and no. In one sense, I kind of, the actual writing of it was faster. But then again, I was so much more aware of what I'd done wrong in book one. Stuff that I was kind of blissfully ignorant about when I wrote my first book. I kind of just sat down and, and happily wrote a book. But with book two, I kind of had to think about all these things and had to like make sure it was this way and this way. And yeah, I kind of fixed all the stupid mistakes I knew I'd done in book one. So, so it was faster to write, but at the same time, it took me so much longer to make sure it was, it was better. And I had to do some major rewrites after after writing the first draft because there were some things I realized just didn't work properly. So, but yeah, I feel like I've gotten into I found my process now, and I actually I draft much faster than I can revise and edit and have it sent to later readers and my editor and stuff. So I have quite a few projects lined up that I I kind of I tend to have one project I'm drafting one that I'm revising and one that's kind of near its completion. So I usually have at least three projects on the line at the time. But that's a good position to be in, I think. 
it's a very i'm not there <laughs> i would love to have that i i would love to have that pipeline set up i'm not there yet i absolutely not there yet um I, if 2020 hadn't been 2020 i would be closer to that <laughs> yeah. but just uh, just not 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 there yet just not there yet at all one thing i didn't ask you in the very beginning this is kind of an intro question but how did you get what motivated you to wake up one day and decide I should write a book? This is a good idea, and then put it into action. What got you into writing? Well, I kind of did some some writing when I was younger. When I was little, I used to love writing stories and stuff, which I suppose is what everyone says. Like, oh, when I was younger, I used to love writing. But but yeah, so I I actually did do that, and uh, I also wrote a lot of lyrics. Uh, still do actually because I'm I've played the guitar and so I've written a lot of songs over the years which are kind of in many cases they're kind of short stories and I had a I have a friend who when we were teenagers we started writing short stories to each other over email when we were like during our summer jobs that's uh, really cool. Yeah, because we kind of we had both had quite a lot of downtime between tasks. So he'd send off a short story to me, and I sent him one back, and we do that over the summer. And I think it was around that time I, I decided to start this big fantasy thing that was going to be amazing, was going to be the next Lord's Rings. And I think I wrote maybe ten pages, and then never looked at it again. <laughs> and then I think it was it was after. When I was done like studying and I like, got my degrees from university and stuff, I eventually got a job. I ended up, uh, I ended up coming home from work and not having anything to do because when you study, you had if you always have stuff to read or stuff to write or stuff to work on. Right. And then when I was done studying, I always had I kind of I kept looking for jobs and sending applications and I always had something to do. And when I finally landed the job. I just ended up sitting there like, well, what do I do now? And writing became like a thing to keep me occupied in a sense. That wasn't like straight up playing video games for hours on end and drinking. So, uh, so I kind of felt like did, I was doing something with a bit more purpose than just having time off. And yeah, just evolved from there into actually writing. Yeah, no, I I was I came to writing late. Um I couldn't write a coherent sentence when I was t 11 or 12. I was sick when I was a child, missed a ton of school, and so I just kind of didn't I had lots of great thoughts I could speak while I was super articulate, I couldn't write anything down. Um so I didn't really start writing seriously until I was late high school, which here is 17, 18 years old. Um, and, and then I was in college and just, as you said, super busy, had tons to do, did two degrees by the time I was 23. Um, and so then I really didn't, I didn't kind of start writing again very seriously till 2014 because I ran a magazine. I ran another magazine. I worked in fashion and designed clothes and all that sort of thing. And when all that came undone, um, I needed to write. I I felt the need to write what had happened to me. Yeah, and that was when I started writing more seriously. So I was I was in my mid twenties by that time. I was a bit of a late comer. 
Yeah, but that's that's basically what I did as well, because I didn't start write, writing any novels or anything before that age. It was just, like I said, like those lyrics and, and short stories before that, and an attempt at a novel that didn't go anywhere at all. So yeah, it's a very similar story to mine. Yeah. You said you studied archaeology. Yeah. Yes. I don't imagine that you're out in the field brushing pottery these days. No. No, it's cold and dark. Uh... <laughs> here, I live in Seattle. It's also cold and dark here. Yeah. Well, not so cold, but dark and rainy. Because so, yeah. we have no sun this time of year. No, but actually going doing field work and stuff, because usually I work in what's over here at least called commercial archaeology. So it's not these mm. it's not these big excavations you might imagine where there's like a hundred people digging in the same hole. So we usually only a handful of people. So actually being in the field is much more like we're allowed to be in the field, but we're not allowed to be in the office because we can have bigger distances and stuff and we're outside. So but right yeah. now we're not in, in season, so to speak, so we're waiting for we're waiting for spring. Well, I don't imagine there's much construction going on just this time of year. Too much snow. <laughs> yeah. All that sort of thing. No no sun. No sun. We don't we don't know her. Um <laughs> yeah, so that's uh that 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 makes sense in the social distancing outdoors. Yeah. And archaeology. Someone's got to make sure that you're not building a new skyscraper on the tomb of a Viking king. That's yeah. what you do. <laughs> yeah, basically. Well, yeah, and archaeology, there, there is a lot of paperwork. People think we're just finding treasure all the time and digging up cool graves and kind of finding cursed tombs. But there is a lot of... Yeah, sorting through Excel sheets and databases and just typing up reports. So, not as glamorous as you think, kids. <laughs> no, no, certainly not. Well, um, it, it's coming up time, so now's a great time for you to plug um, Twitter websites, books. Where can we find you online? You should follow him on Twitter, but where can we find you online? How can how do we follow you? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter on at Trey Stone author. I'm usually there all the time. I'm happy okay. to chat and write funny things and share gifts. And <laughs> my webpage is trey-stone.com where I run a blog. I write about writing and about myself and stuff I'm up to. Lots of book reviews. And you can also find my books and other things there. Links to podcasts such as this. And then you can find my books on Amazon, The Consequence of Loyalty, about an FBI, FBI agent who shoots his own boss for absolutely no reason, it appears. And then uh, people have to figure out why this has happened. And then the follow-up, which is uh, my newest book, A State of Despair, about a seemingly pretty standard drug raid that goes horribly wrong when a fire breaks out and an agent disappears. Uh, they're fast-paced, dark psychological thrillers, and you're going to love them. Everyone's raving about them, I promise. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on the Cameron Journal podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. That's all for this episode of the Cameron Journal podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us online at CameronJournal.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I love to talk to my followers and listeners, so please feel free to uh, get us on social media at Cameron Callen on Twitter. And we'll see you next time on the Cameron Journal Podcast.